0: We listen now for God's Word, comes to us from the Gospel of John this morning. This particular text shows a remarkable vulnerability of Jesus Christ. I invite you to listen for God's Word. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival, this is the festival in Jerusalem, were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant. Also, whoever serves me, the Father will honor. And now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again, this voice from heaven said. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we come before you now on this fifth Sunday in Lent, and we come seeking to hear you. Take the sleep from our eyes and open our ears that we may receive what you have for us this day. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I wonder how many of you have discovered the TED Talks yet. The TED Talks. There are over 1,000 talks on podcasts by a variety of people on numerous subjects on the Internet, and they're all described as ideas worth spreading. All you have to do is go visit TED.com, T-E-D. So in my reading this week, in preparation for this sermon, I came across a reference to one of the TED Talks that a friend had sent me within the last year, so I looked it up again online. It's a talk by Brene Brown, a research scientist in the field of social work. My daughter's a social worker. I became intrigued. Now, according to the research conducted by Dr. Brown, and other social workers many many of the people that they've researched like you and me have a problem with vulnerability many of us apparently fundamentally don't believe that we're truly worthy of love and real connection with other people Down in the core of who we are, we believe that if people really knew us, if they really knew what we have done or what we think about, if they really knew who we are, they wouldn't want to love us or connect with us. So we only sparingly reveal and share ourselves. We hide ourselves for fear of what others may really think about us if they knew. Rather than loving because we feel we are worthy of love ourselves, we feel this deep sense of what they call shame. Shame defined simply as the fear of not being worthy of real human connections. So let me give you an example of this from my own life. Last summer my wife and I moved our son and his family to Nashville, Tennessee. We were excited for them, they're grown-ups now, they have their own family, it's a great opportunity for them to get ahead in their careers and we certainly felt a sense of loss in their departure from the neighborhood. How would the distance change our relationship? what does this mean in terms of our relationship with our grandson And they were pregnant at the time what would this mean for the future of our relationship with a new grandson will they have the support they need in this new community for this expanding family I mean who's gonna stay with Elliot when they go to the hospital we navigated the move we navigated the work We even navigated the emotional terrain pretty well. But then months later, while I was watching a movie, there was a scene in the movie of a father running and playing on the beach with his young son. And all of a sudden, this flood of emotion came from I I didn't know where. And I realized that I'd been dreaming about my son and always dreaming of him as a child, not the man who he had become. And I realized in that moment I had lost my best friend who moved to Nashville. The emotions that I had stuffed just came rushing in and with those emotions I felt the vulnerability of real love now I had to let go not entirely but certainly significantly as every parent has to let go and I finally allowed myself to feel those emotions they're not bad feelings though they're painful and I avoid pain like the plague. But the numbness began to lift. And you see, I'm so intellectual sometimes, I so operate out of my brain that sometimes I just deny what my heart is feeling. And sometimes the heart simply won't be denied. Now, the research that Dr. Brown has discovered and what she went through personally has taught her to live and love and work and parent completely differently. Life is messy, she says, and we try to cope with it, but we often do it in unhelpful and even destructive ways. We all need to feel a sense that we're loved, that we belong, that we connect on a deep level it's essential to what it means to be human the reason we're here but the research shows that most of us feel this deep sense of unworthiness about ourselves we simply fear that we will not connect and so we withhold ourselves I'm not blank you fill in the rest of that sentence I'm not good enough I'm not attractive enough I'm not strong enough I'm not rich enough I'm not thin enough I'm not smart enough I'm not something at the core of our being that we feel and to be known we have to allow ourselves to be really seen It requires what she calls excruciating vulnerability. The other way we cope with this is we try to perfect everything. We try to make our lives look perfect. We even try to make our children look perfect. And What damage we do to them when we try to do that. People who have a sense of love and belonging fundamentally believe they are worthy of love and belonging. That's it. That's the only difference between them and the rest of us. The thing that keeps us from love and connection is the belief we're simply not worthy of it because we're not good enough. Some people, however, that they've discovered are wholehearted. They live in a wholehearted kind of way from a sense of worthiness and a sense of deep connections with others. They live with what she calls courage. Now courage, the word itself in the English language comes from the Latin word for heart. They live a wholehearted way. Not because they're perfect, they know they're imperfect. But they realize that it's their imperfections that make them beautiful. you see we have to let go of who we think we should be in order to have the courage to be who we are now any of you who know me very well know I'm not well suited for the conversation we're having right now (laughs) I'm a pretty cautious person I tend to hold my cards pretty close to the vest all this talk about vulnerability and connection and worthiness makes me uncomfortable I'd much rather be talking to you today about my NCAA bracket. Why the heck Villanova lost? They're supposed to go all the way to the final championship game. But I do think this is important stuff. Just don't tell anybody. It'll blow my cover. You see, I'm at that stage in life now where all these close connections, I've worked for 35 years to create and develop are beginning to unravel and for very good reasons. I've walked my daughters down these aisles. Joyous occasions, their wedding days, wonderful things to celebrate but there's a loss that comes with that and a change in the relationships I've done the father thing not without its pain and its fear about the connections forged over those 35 years what will be the future of these relationships what about the relationships now with their spouses and who am I supposed to be as a grandfather with these children and what about the distance now geographically I certainly notice that my kids call their mother more often than they call me. I called my daughter the other day in North Carolina, and I knew she was at work, and she immediately answered her cell phone and answered, said, Dad, is everything okay? (laughs) Does it have to be an emergency for your father to call you? No, but whose fault is that? it's certainly not hers doesn't matter at what age or stage in life we find ourselves there are real daily opportunities to love and connect with others the most important people in your lives and the others with whom we share the planet so why is it that so many of us feel so alone and so isolated well apparently according to the research it has something to do with not revealing ourselves not living wholeheartedly trying to hide all our imperfections it has something to do with our willingness to be vulnerable to share ourselves openly that's what the research is saying A few weeks ago I heard this remarkable story from a friend. He runs a small engineering company, but his engineering company does business with larger corporations around the world. And he was negotiating a deal with some people in Saudi Arabia. Things hadn't gone as expected. So he was on the phone talking to somebody in Saudi Arabia whom he had never met on the other side of the world. And he's simply trying to move a business deal forward. But in the conversation, he has a sense that this guy is decent and open. And he felt they had come to an agreement, they had come to terms, but there was no contract. And in dealing across the world, you don't have any way of resolving disputes. Very difficult but without a contract and without any real assurances he wired the guy three hundred and fifty thousand dollars well the rest of the people in his company thought he was absolutely nuts and the more they talked to him the more it began to eat at him and he felt the vulnerability and he didn't hear from the guy for a week the night before a phone call came, he and his wife were out for dinner and they were trying to figure out how they could absorb the loss of $350,000. And then a phone call came and an invitation. After they'd felt the excruciating vulnerability of that risk, they got an invitation to travel to Saudi Arabia and when he landed he was treated like American royalty. One of the great heroes of the country of Saudi Arabia became his emissary, introduced him to people, ushered him through the country. He was invited to a hotel that cost some 13 billion dollars to build right next to the palace he was the only American invited to the dinner he was dumbfounded he thought "Boy, they made a big mistake they believe I'm somebody important back in America and after several days it finally came out they were so taken and impressed by the vulnerability and the trust demonstrated by wiring that money that he instantly began a trusting relationship with them. They wanted him as their business partner because he was willing to be vulnerable, willing to connect on a human level based on trust, to interact in a more than transactional kind of way. And I guess the real question is, how many deep relationships do you have in your life and do I have in mine? Or do we only have transactional relationships with one another? Dr. Brown talks about wholehearted people who believe they're worthy of love, worthy of connection. And they're the ones who are willing to say first, I love you. I'll climb out on that limb. You're worth something to me. I'll trust you. And they believe that what makes them vulnerable, these whole-hearted people, is also what makes them beautiful. And they fully embrace their vulnerability. Vulnerability, see, is the birthplace of play, of things like joy. Gratitude, creativity, happiness. And these wholehearted people are willing to invest in a relationship not knowing whether things will work out. And most of us avoid that kind of thing. In fact, we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves with distractions. We numb ourselves with food, with television, with drugs and alcohol. And the problem is we don't only numb the negative feelings we don't want, we numb all the feelings. It's like a general anesthesia. And So we don't experience the joy and the deep love and the deep happiness of connecting with others. There are two ways to operate. You can try to protect yourself by numbing yourself to the pain Or you can embrace the pain and the messiness of life and you stay vulnerable and you stay open and you will experience joy and creativity and gratitude along with the pain. And all of that sounds a lot to me like what Jesus is talking about in John. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life we will keep it for eternal life the more we try to protect ourselves the more isolated we become so this brings me to this text in John because here we have God desiring a connection with us facing his own impending death but believing he's worthy of our love he's worthy of our connection and without any assurances that will actually respond to his love he chooses yet to go to the cross to address the very shame that is often at the core of who we are that keeps us from one another and keeps us from Him. And here in this text in John we see this excruciating vulnerability On the part of Jesus Christ, a chain of events has begun. It's set in motion, and it will lead to His death. And it says Jesus' own soul is troubled. I don't know about you, but when my soul is troubled, I'm up in the middle of the night. And for some darn reason, it's always 230 30. I don't know why. Every time I look over at the clock, it's 2.30. Jesus says, what should I say? Save me from this hour, Father? Ah, It's for this very hour that I've come. When do you reflect deeply on your life, on your losses, on the connections with others. Do you have anyone you could call at 2.30 in the morning? Do you have those kind of deep human connections or do you only have transactions with people? So these two Greeks approach Philip, who bears a Greek name and he probably spoke Greek and he asks him, we too want to see Jesus. And for some reason, this launches Jesus into this long discourse about the hour has come. It marks the end of his public ministry. Throughout the earlier chapters of John, it always says the hour has not yet come. At the wedding at Canaan, it had not yet come. In the temple, when he cleanses the temple, it had not yet come. Now here in this passage, the hour has come. And it has something to do with these two Greeks who come in that hour to say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Even the disciples are going to have to see things differently. They saw only what they were conditioned to see in him. But Jesus came from a completely different angle, he wasn't just a nationalistic phenomenon. He was not, as Pilate would later place over His head on the cross, merely the King of the Jews. Because when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, He would draw all people to Himself. Greeks and Romans, Jews and Americans, Chinese, Hispanics, all people. And at the center of our faith, is this changed perspective on who Jesus is on who we ourselves are and on the entire world around us and the disciples didn't even begin to understand it in this text it wasn't until after the resurrection that they began to see to discern who he was that Jesus when he was lifted up on that cross Lifted all of us he was nailed to that cross for the very shame that often is at the center of our lives and he took away all the shame that causes us to hide from others to numb ourselves to life's challenges to life's relationships And he changed that core sense of our worthiness so that he might bring us creativity and joy and gratitude and happiness. So, today, whether you're troubled about college admission, wondering whether you're worthy enough for that letter of admission or you're troubled about some new relationship that's developing in your life, or you're troubled about losing your job, or you're troubled about your marriage, or you're troubled about retirement or aging, or you're worried that your money isn't going to last long enough, whatever it is, you and I are alive today. And we're capable of deep, loving connections with people and with God. And you and I are able to experience love and joy and meaning. And we're able to quit numbing ourselves to life. Do you too wish to see Jesus? then you must risk opening yourself honestly to Him and sharing yourself with others. That's why we're here. And we can take these kind of risks because of the strength of the One who lives within us. So don't protect yourself too much. Because you'll miss out on the very best that life has to offer. Real love. Deep and abiding connection. And it begins with reconnecting with the one who loves you more than anyone else. And who in excruciating vulnerability went to the cross. That we might know life and life abundant. And as we just said in our affirmation of faith, unjustly condemned for blasphemy and sedition, Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. And God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the power of sin and evil, and delivering us from death to life eternal. Thanks be to God. Amen.